I'm talking about a principle today. Sometimes I preach expositorially. Sometimes I preach principles, principles of the Bible. This morning in uh, Sunday school class, I taught on a principle of paradoxes in the Bible. What's up is down and what's down is up compared to the world. The philosophy of Christianity is not like the world's philosophy. It's opposite of the world's philosophy. You can almost think of anything that's right in the world and almost make it understand it's wrong in Christ. It's amazing. And so, uh, especially with personal living, today I want to talk about the uh, concept of risk-taking. The concept of risk-taking. Almost nothing has ever been accomplished that has made a difference that did not involve some great risk. Uh, for years ago, uh, Brother Tom Crichton and I took a motorcycles, my Harley Ultra Classic, and we went out and tried to follow the route of Lewis and Clark. Now, there's, there's roads that'll say Lewis and Clark pass this way or they pass down this line, and Brother Tom found as many as he could, and we went down and tried to follow the route of Lewis and Clark all the way to the Pacific Ocean. Them old boys did that in 1804 to 1806. I mean, it was not friendly. They surveyed what they call the Pacific North Passage, Northwest Passage. And so Lewis and Clark literally put everything on the line so that they could find a way to travel from the east all the way out to the Pacific Ocean and the Northwest Passage. They risked wild animals and bears that came in, tried to get them, starvation almost. They got lost. Hostile Indian tribes, tremendous amount of, many people that are from that area, tremendous amount of foul weather, unknown unknown to discover this country and what it looked like and how in the world to go from one place to another. They risked it. And we know the names. How many know the names of Lewis and Clark? You went to school, you studied history, Lewis and Clark. Now, had they not done something like that, nobody would remember Lewis and Clark. You wouldn't know who Lewis and Clark were. But they risked something that other people evidently weren't willing to risk. They laid, and the crew that went with them, by the way, laid their lives down, at least theoretically, to be able to do that. When I played football, many of you may not know I played football. <laughs> played football for Elkhart High School, and we won a state championship one of the years I played. Of course, I was second string, but nevertheless... It takes the second string to make the first string. So anyway, my coach used to say, if you don't play 110%, you're going to get hurt. How many did ever heard that statement? You don't play 110%. You, you people have been in athletics. If you don't give it your all, you're going to get hurt. If you hold back or afraid, for some reason, I don't know why, but it seems like people get hurt when they do that. But if you give it all, just go for it. You don't get hurt. So I remember the old coach's advice about that. And I think it's, it's true in Christianity, by the way. There's three classes of people, has been said, those who dare, those who won't, and those who watch those who do. It has been the risk takers in life that have discovered America. 
that have opened the railroads from coast to coast, that have tested new aircraft, that have sat at the top of rockets, that have gone to the moon, that have invented the light bulb, which is local here, discovered electricity, harnessed steam power, discovered the atomic power, developed the microchip, built roads that crisscross over this land. The coal miners of our country who risk it every time they go into the shaft and down into the earth to get coal. Bridge builders who risk it when they try to ford rivers. Large machinery workers, high steel workers, high voltage workers, and so many others regularly risk themselves for what? For good, for the good of mankind, so that things will be better. The people who built Hoover Dam, I've been to Hoover Dam, if you've ever been there, it's worth going to just to look at the monumental feat of building Hoover Dam. Why? So it could produce electricity all these years. And if I remember right, I may be wrong on this number, but 20 men lost their lives building Hoover Dam. It may have been more, but at least 20 men that went to work, had no idea it was going to kill them, but they knew the risk and what they did, and they lost their lives in building Hoover Dam. A truth is that risk-taking is inherent in all great life-changing events. Your mother went to the valley of the shadow of death for your birth. Now, don't let me scare the four pregnant women in our church today. But I've watched a birth. My wife birthed Troy. And I tell you, I've never, I've hunted for years. I'd hunted for years before that, gutted animals, cleaned animals. I've been around blood, didn't bother me. But wow, birthing is life threatening. It's amazing anybody made it. I mean, it's just amazing. You don't want to get too close to your husbands, I want to tell you something. Don't get too close to your wife when she's in labor. She's out of her mind. She'll do what Darla Boucher did. She reached over and bit John so hard that you could see her upper print and lower print of her teeth in his arm. I got, went to visit. I used to make a habit of going to visit women in labor. I quit it. Because I was afraid they were going to talk bad about me. I mean, I went to one went to the door of the hospital, had driven all the way from here all the way to the health park, and went to the door and heard her talking about his family in a bad way. And I mean, she wasn't using good language. She's one of the members of Gospel Baptist Church. <laughs> and I, I went like this to the door, and I go, no, Brother Boucher was with me. I said, let's go down and have a cup of coffee and go home. And so we went downstairs, had a cup of coffee, and went home. Because we said, I don't want to go in that room while she's in that kind of a state of mind. In other words, the pain was so wild that she really lost her mind. Not all women have that. Now they got all these drugs, they put them out. But it's a risk to have a baby. But you're never going to have children unless you, have, unless you take that risk. People often will ask me, why does God seem, to, seem distant to me and untouchable to me and far off and and un unrelated to my life, maybe just cold. And often I'll tell them, you've not risked anything for God. 
And that's why you haven't received anything from God. You want to see God's power? Do you really? You're going to have to risk yourself. Come door to door with us. A lot of people don't go door to door because they're simply scared. Let's just put it where it really is. It's not because you can't talk. It's not because you're not going with somebody that can talk. It's not because you don't have the Bible and know the simple plan of salvation. Most people do not go door to door, do not witness and tell other people of Christ because they're scared and afraid of what other people will think of them or say to them or possibly even do to them. They're not willing to risk themselves for what Jesus said to do. He said to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The, the example of Acts is they went door to door telling people about Christ. We just do what they did. We just pick up what they did. We're not inventing any of this stuff. We just say, okay, we're going to, if they did it in the book of Acts and Jesus said to go in the world, I don't know of a better way to do it. I don't know of a more thorough way to do it. I'm for mailing the gospel. I'm for gospel tracts. I'm for podcasts. I'm for internet. I'm for printing and, and, and printed books and pamphlets. I'm for reaching people in, through, through all of those methods, but it doesn't nullify my responsibility to obey Christ and get out there and get face-to-face with people and try to talk to them about Jesus. Saturday, we were able to give the gospel to 14 different people that would have maybe never heard the gospel, never gone to church, or never possibly availed themselves or even allowed anybody to talk to them. Think about it. If you keep repeating the gospel, guess what's going to happen? Somebody's going to get saved because it is the power of God unto salvation. It's not, I'm not the power of God unto salvation. Salvation, You're not. It's the gospel. And the gospel is when it's repeated to people, they get saved. You just keep repeating it. There was some girl came to me years ago, and she said, I've never led anybody to Christ, preacher. I really want to lead somebody to Christ. I said, how would I, I said, you get somehow, some way. You got to repeat the gospel to some people, to people. You can't just repeat it to your dog, your cat. You got to repeat it to people. And she said, okay, okay. I don't really know how to do it. I don't know what. I said, do you know the gospel? So she got to, she learned the gospel presentation well. It took about 15 minutes. She got it down. She memorized some scriptures that took a little longer. And then she went about her business. It wasn't just a few weeks later, she came back to me. She says, I led my first person to Christ. At McDonald's, of all places. I said, what are you doing at McDonald's? She says, man, they got good ice cream and soul winning opportunities. I said, amen to that. Let's take your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, let's see what Jesus said here. Verse 34, 38. Mark chapter 8, one of my favorite places. This is found in other Gospels. Parallel passages found in other Gospels. Matthew chapter 16 and Luke chapter 9. But I like this one, uh, verses chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. It says, And when he called his people, the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let's stop there. Is that you? Put your name there. Whosoever is like whosoever. You can put James' name there. You can put Bill Lytell's name there. But put your name there. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. 
But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the, and the gospels, that's what I love about that, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, you know, you can't eat nothing. There's nothing you can exchange your soul for. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh into the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Now, it's interesting to me that this is, uh, think of how old this is, almost 2,000 years old now. That means every generation is sinful and adulterous. Your generation, my generation, no different than the other generation before us. They were sinful and adulterous, and our generation sinful and adulterous, and the one going back eight centuries was sinful and adulterous. And he said, whatever generation you're, you're born in, whatever time that God foresees you to, to, to be born in, it's going to be a sinful-type generation. They're not going to be friendly to the gospel. I'm asking you to deny yourself and take a risk for me and spread the good news by the grace of God. Some of you, when you do that, they're going to take and they're going to kill you. Some of you, they're going to imprison you. It says to the church of Smyrna, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. I've asked myself that question over and over again. Will I, would I be willing to be faithful unto death? I hope, it's not, I hope I don't know what's coming. You know what I mean? If I go door to door and a guy comes up with a double barrel shotgun and he don't like Christians and I knock on his door and disturb him and he lets go on both them triggers, that's okay. I, I didn't know it was coming. I didn't have any prior fear and I get to go to heaven by the grace. By the way, where do you get to go as a born again Christian if, if they kill you? A no cost life received nothing. The safe path, if you take the safe path, you, you see nothing of the power of God. You will never see the power of God work in your life unless you're willing to risk something for Him. We have way too many Christians living in flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through stormy seas. Way too many. We have a Bible reading board back there in the back. And when I ask you to sign up for the Bible board, I'm asking you to risk something, risk your time. Read the Bible, sacrifice your time. It takes about 72 hours, if I remember right, to read the Bible. About 72 hours, if you're an average reader. By the way, the vocabulary of the Bible is around 5th and 6th grade level. There's one book in the Bible that's ninth grade level, but most all the other Bible, Bible books are about fifth and sixth grade level, down even to fourth grade level. So if you read it and you don't understand a word, skip over it. Or now, wait a minute. Now you got a phone. You can say the word to the phone and they'll give you the definition. You've got the dictionary in your hand if you've got a phone. I've got this little watch on right here. I can say, and I don't want to say it because she'll talk to me mispronounce my name. I can say to this phone, I say, hey, what's the meaning of such and such a word? My son was sitting in the back. He told me the other day, he's, by the way, over in Paris today. What a life. But anyway, uh, you couldn't drag me to Paris, but nevertheless, 
my son, he said, uh, I said something. I said, hey, Siri, and his phone answered. My voice and his voice are that close together. I thought that was good. I guess I was the only one. Let me give you some examples of people who risk it. Now, look, some of you may be sitting there and saying, oh, preacher, preacher, I don't want to die for Jesus. I'm not telling you to die for Jesus. I'm asking you to live for Jesus. I'm asking you to do what he says. Read the Bible, the same book I read. I'm not telling you to do some crazy thing. I'm just telling you to do things that Christians have been doing for 20, for 2,000 years. I'm already up on 2,000 years now. We're not encouraging you to do anything. Read his book. Help missions to go worldwide. Go out there and try to tell your neighbors and friends about Jesus. Live a, live a sanctified life away from the sins and wickednesses of the world, the things that displease God. But you have to risk yourself to be a Christian. You've you got to do it. Moses did it. Moses, man, oh, man. Moses, he was taught in all the ways of Egypt. He was in the hierarchy of Egypt, set in, set in life. He, if anybody was set up in life to have it made, Moses was set up to have it made. Have slaves at his beck and call, anything he wanted. All the knowledge of Egypt was at his disposal, and he chose God. The burning bush came. He went to the burning bush, 314 Exodus. He said, I want you to go back there. He was wanted for murder in Egypt, by the way. He wants you to go back to Egypt and get him before Pharaoh. He knew Pharaoh. He knew that he had law, that in his word he could kill you. Absolute despotism. He could kill you at his word. He said, I want you to go back to Pharaoh and say, I want you to let go of the two and a half, about approximately two and a half million slaves that are building everything you guys, everything you guys are looking at. They're building everything. I want you to let them go. Only goes, man, that's not going to go well. That's not a quote, by the way. But he gives five excuses to God why he, why God made the wrong choice. I don't know about you, but that's just arguing the wrong way. God, you made the wrong choice. Aaron's better than I am. They won't believe me if I go over there. So he gives him signs. He gives him wonders. He said, look, I'm going to go with you. Well, they won't know who you are. Well, tell them the I am sent you. But you, you can criticize Moses what you want for being a little worried about that because he knew the risk involved of going before Pharaoh and asking for two and a half million of his slaves to be taken out. It was, his, it was a, a paramount to literally revolution. And he, he, he wanted something from God to help him. And let me tell you, God will go with you when you obey the words that we read there in Mark. He'll go with you. He'll show you his hand. He'll show you his power. You will see his word to be fulfilled. If you don't risk anything for God, you'll live an empty and cold and, and hollow, uh, non uh, you will not see the power of God manifested. But if you obey him, you'll see it manifested. Oh, my, my, going, just going door to door, you see the power of God all the time come and do things to help you, intercede for you. Moses, he risked it. It was scary what he did. Elijah, he was willing to go against the entire nation of Ahab and Jezebel. They had the three, 450 prophets of Baal 
and 400 prophets of the grove all said that Baal was God. And here's this one man, Elijah, says, I believe Jehovah's God. And he says, how long halt you between two opinions? 1 Kings 18, 21. If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And you know, most of you know the story of that. They build altars. The priests of Baal, 850 of them built this altar. It says, the God who causes fire to come down from heaven and consume the consume the sacrifice on the altar, that's God. Do you agree? And they all said, yes, the one that sends fire. Well, you know, the God of Baal, he's a false God. He never was a God. He's a figment of their imagination. They didn't have fire come down from heaven. But when Elijah had the, had the altar built and put water over it three different times where water covered the whole thing, it was in the trench, he got on his knees to the true and living God, and he said, God, you sent me. He risked it. Fire came down from heaven. Lightning came down from heaven. Consumed not only the altar, consumed the stones, consumed the water, consumed the everything. And the, the people fell on their faces and said, Jehovah's God, there was the greatest revival you bought ever heard of, except for the city of Nahum, in the book of Nahum. And what did Elijah get to see? He got to see the power of God because he was willing to do the will of God. You want to see God? Do his will. Risk something. I think of the priests in Joshua chapter 3, verse 13. They're, they, they, the children of Israel had come up on the east side of the Jordan and conquered uh, those two lands on the east side of Jordan. They were ready to go into the promised land across the Jordan. The Jordan's a pretty, pretty large river, at least at that time. It was in the time of spring, and it was very large and swollen over its banks. And, and the, he said to, the God said to the priests, get the, get the altar of the covenant, ark of the covenant, and carry it across the river. You go ahead, everybody else. And he let those priests go across that river, begin to go across that river till the water came up to their ankles. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm one of those guys that said, okay, I'll carry one of the engines. There's four of them carrying the, the Ark of the Covenant. And they're on there. And he says, okay, we're going across the river. Okay, God. Anytime. Hey, God, my foot's in the water. It's getting a little deeper, God. What are we doing? And when, he, when, they, when their Bible says when their ankles got in, in the water that deep, God stopped the waters from above and made them stack up in front of them. They got to see the power of God because they were willing to risk something for God. I think of the boys, the three Hebrew boys, standing up against Nebuchadnezzar. He said, we're not going to bow down and worship that image you made. He said, well, I'll throw you in the fiery furnace. Well, well, you go ahead and throw us in the fiery furnace, but whether we get saved or whether we get burned in the fiery furnace, we're not going to bow down. They were willing to risk something for God. And they just said, "My, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, that's the way Paul said it. And they began, what do you, have you ever thought about the fiery furnace? Do you think, do you think when they bound them, the strongest men in the army, big old boys, bound them. Each guy carried one of them to the opening of the furnace. They said, heat that thing up seven times more than it's ever been heated. They heated that thing up. The billows, you know, they used billows back then probably to heat it. Got that thing, got that thing blue. When flames really get hot, they go like, they go yellow. 
They go red and they go yellow and they'll even get into a blue color. That's really hot. And they got that thing so hot. And the Bible says that they, those strong men grabbed them boys and began to take them to the entrance. Do you think God let them smell the smoke? Do you think God let those boys feel some of the heat? I don't know. But I just got a feeling God kind of, just like he did those priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, he let his, they let their feet get in the water a little bit. I think maybe God let them smell the smoke and feel the heat. And they just said, we trust you, God. We trust you, God, Jehovah God. We trust you. And they, and they were thrown into this place, the, the furnace, and went down to the bottom of the furnace there, could be seen from below. The guys that threw them in died from the heat. Now, wouldn't you like to be one of those Hebrew boys? They got to walk around in flame, in fire, with the Son of God. And they, when they got him out, when Nebuchadnezzar finally said, come on out, come on out. They came out and all the guys huddled around them. You can imagine, imagine Imagine any kind of miracle. People huddled around. They tried. Well, if somebody in the restaurant lights up a cigarette and you're in the restaurant, you smell like smoke when you go home. They didn't even have the smell of smoke. That's God. That's who we worship. Wow. Why did God do that? Because he loves to see his children trust him. That's what this is all about. Do you really trust God this morning? That's what this is all about. Do you trust God? I think of Daniel. Through a plot of those who hated him, he was thrown into the lion's den. These lions usually devour their prey on the way down. He went down into the lion's den. The lions didn't devour him. But he, do you think Daniel was able to smell? Now, a lion's den wouldn't smell good. You people that are city people, do you realize a farm smells nasty? Farms smell that. What I read an article where city people are going and buying farms because they see it on TV and they think, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be nice to own horses and to own to own pigs and to own chickens and to own animals. Wouldn't that just be nice? We could walk out in every fairy tale. They're walking around, clucking, everything. Yeah, until you hit, until you walk on a farm and go like this. Wow. What in the world is that? Oh, that's the pigs. Or the, or, or that's, that's the, the cows. Or that's the horse. We had horses as a kid. My parents tried to kill me, but they did not succeed. They got us four little horses, little ponies, horses, and I remember I had the job of going and cleaning up the stuff that comes out of them. My, 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 my exposure to farm living wasn't the life for me. It was a good life. Somehow I think when they opened the door to the lion's den, that smell hit Daniel. Whew. Smell of death. They had thrown many things in carcasses were in there, bones. and I mean, you think somebody go down there and clean the bones out? I don't think so. And they let Daniel down. I don't know how quickly they let him down. I don't. Nobody knows how quickly they let him down, but I don't think it was like, Phew. 
They didn't want to hurt him on the way down. They wanted him to be eaten by lions, but they didn't want to hurt him, right? So they let him down. Maybe they let him down slowly. Maybe he walked down a stairway slowly, or maybe they let him down some way. I don't know how long he stood there wondering whether the lions were going to kill him. But I believe the man, if he was, I guarantee you one thing, if I'd be in the middle of lions, then I'd be praying, how about you? Oh, God, please remember me. Please remember me according to your kindness and tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Give me a renewed heart. Heal the bones thou hast broken. I believe Daniel was talking to God. And an hour went by. Two hours went by. Four hours went by. Eight hours went by. It got light. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, but the king came to the uh, entrance. I think it was Darius. I'm not sure. And they came to the entrance and got in there. Open up that entrance. Daniel, you there? I'm here. Because Daniel was willing to risk it for God, God got the glory, showed his power, not just to Daniel, but to the king and to all those people around the king to where he said, there is no God but Jehovah God among all the gods. He's the only God that could deliver like this. And that's what God wants to do through your life. He wants to work in your life in such a way, if you'll live for him, if you'll obey him and read the word of God and just submit to his words, then he wants to show his power through some 60s hippie. I think of Esther. Esther. Go into the king when you're not supposed to go in. This king would kill people for a whole lot less than what she did. She showed up in the inner court and women aren't even supposed to go in. You're not supposed to go in without permission. She goes in. He spares her to plead for her people. She risked herself. In fact, she told her, She told her dad, if you, or her stepdad, if you don't risk it, if you guys don't fast, we're not going to do it. But if you'll fast for us uh, and pray, we'll, we'll fast and pray, and I'll go in. And if I die, I die. That's our attitude, man. That ought to be our attitude for Christ. If what he wants me to do kills me, it kills me. Where am I going? The God who owns life, is our God. You'll be all right. Jesus asked Peter, Andrew, James, and John to leave their fishing business and assets along the lake there and, and to give up everything they knew was real for something they did not know was real but believe this was the Christ. And they said, he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Even though the, his, their friends probably thought they were crazy when they did that. But they would not be able to be his apostles if they weren't willing to risk everything for him. Their willingness to forsake all. If they'd kept fishing, you would not know their names. Let's just say he came to them and said, come, follow me. And they said, no, fishing was good. I like being on a boat. I like the sunsets. I like to watch the sunsets. I like the whole fishing life's non-stressful. You get to eat good. You know, and that's all true about fishing, by the way. He said, I want you to quit fishing. I want you to follow me. You would not have known their name. 
they would have had almost no impact upon this world. But because they were willing to obey the Lord Jesus in childlike faith, go around like itinerants from town to town preaching this gospel, not only do you know their name, they made it in the book. They're going to be sitting on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel someday. We're going to see them. Their names, the names of the 12 apostles are around the foundations of the new Jerusalem. It pays to serve God. That's what that tells me. You don't do it for pay, but it pays to serve God. Now what about some failures? Are there some failures? Yeah, there are. I think of the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler came to Jesus, said, what must I do to have eternal life? That's a fair question. He says, well, he gave me his commandments. I've obeyed this, obeyed this, obeyed that, but he left out one commandment on thou shalt not covet. And Jesus says, okay. He said, from a youth, I've kept all these up. I've kept it. I'm, I'm, I'm living an impeccable life. Basically, he told Jesus, what do I got to do to have eternal life? He says, huh. Okay. Fair question. Sell everything you got. Give it to the poor. Follow me. Do you know that rich young ruler's name today? Does anybody know his name? Let's just say he'd have said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to sell my stuff. I'm going to give it to the poor. And I'm going to follow you. How do you think it would have worked out for him? Well, first of all, you'd know his name. He would have had an impact upon his world, and not only his world, but 20, 20 centuries of, of world that have read that story about him. And it wouldn't have to be a story of failure. It wouldn't have to be a story of of, of, of unbelief. It could have been a story of belief. It could have been a story of victory. And he would have been in heaven some almost 2,000 years by now, and possibly his name would be where you'd know what it was. I think of Pilate. Pilate, the one who, who the Roman, who, can, who was in control of the time. Nobody could put anybody to death but Pilate. In Jerusalem, nobody could put anybody to death but Pilate. The Jews couldn't put anybody to death. Only Pilate could put him to death. So he was the judge. He was the main judge. And you know the story of Jesus came before me. And Pilate said, now, now think about what's going on here. Pilate is talking to truth incarnate. Jesus, truth incarnate. And he asked, what is truth? You're looking at him. He's in front of you. And he said, I find no fault in him. He's a judge. He's used to judging people, used to judging character. He realizes he's been brought, they've been brought this guy here because they're jealous of him, because they're afraid of him, taking their power. He says, you're innocent. I know he's innocent. He tells them, he does this phony baloney washing of his hands, though he had the power to crucify him or not, turns him over to be crucified. He did not, he did not wash the responsibility of that off his hands by washing his hands in water. Pilate later on was demoted by the Romans sent out to an obscure place and committed suicide. He failed. 
Paul challenged King Agrippa II, Acts chapter 26, verse 28. King Agrippa said, almost, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. Almost. Where is Agrippa II today? Where's his pomp and circumstance now? Where is his popularity now? He refused to risk it for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he lost everything. Everything. That's what I don't want you to do. That's why this is being preached this morning. To encourage Christians to trust God. Trust the Lord Jesus when he comes to you with the Holy Spirit and asks you to teach Sunday school class. Trust the Holy Spirit when he asks you to be involved in the bus ministry. Trust the Holy Spirit when he asks you to be, asks you to be part of Awana. Trust the Holy Spirit when he asks you to come to church and hear the preaching of the Bible. Trust the Holy Spirit when he asks you to read the Word of God yearly. Trust him. Trust him. And everybody I've seen in the Bible and everybody I've known even personally that trusted God came out good. Only those willing to lose it all eventually gained it all. Leave what I cannot keep to gain what I cannot lose. It's a paradox. You know, you're, you've been around long enough, and I, I end with this. You've seen rich people. Everybody's seen rich people. Everybody's gotten to know some rich people. Now, there's various degrees of riches. or super rich, you know, the billionaire club, the millionaire club. I'd feel rich if I had a couple hundred thousand dollars, man. I'd be feel like I was in hog heaven. In fact, I feel pretty good just having a hundred dollar bill. Bill. You've seen rich you've seen rich people come and go. You've seen it happen. If they're not rich towards God, being rich is not a sin. It's not using your riches for the kingdom of God in obedience to the will of God. That's the sin. Jesus said hard for a rich man to go into heaven. Hard, hard. Why? Because they trust in riches. And when God asks a rich man to go do something that the average person does, he says, well, man, not me, not me. You know, I, no, no offense meant, but oftentimes I believe in their head, they're thinking, I'm above that. He that would be greatest among you be servant of all. That's God's word. And God will cause you to have fruit that remains and things wilder than your imagination. God will do through your obedience and through your sacrifice and through your willingness to obey the simple word of God. God will do the great and mighty things which you know not. He'll do it. And with your own eyes, 
You'll see it. Trust him. Father in heaven, come now. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.